everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player, a D3 all-star, and a guy who peaked in high school use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about everything but. Now here's John, Luke, and Tex. Drive on. Kick the wheels right before the hammer strikes to make sure the levels fall from low. I got them girls shining oh so bright. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. The premier podcast. I'm not saying it. No, no. I'm no, going. we are the premier podcast. Well, I know, we're the prod, uh, I know we're the premier podcast, but we're also much more than that. We are name takers, face melters, and providers of some of the best information on the planet. Power Athlete Radio. And some would call us rock stars. Uh, we have definite reviews in the archives. That specifically call us rock stars. Not only on iTunes reviews, but also previous seminar mm. reviews if delivered you, to HQ. Well, if you do like Power Athlete Radio, please go to iTunes or any of the podcasting apps or you know programs that you use. Click, hit the reviews, punch five stars, and then lead us a dope review. If you include the word rock star, we will read it on the next podcast. That's a guarantee. Yeah. If you leave rock star anywhere in there with a five star it's going up. We're going to give you some attribution. We're going to throw your name out there and we're going to uh, sing your praises for at least 10, 12 seconds. If it is just a five-star review and then <laughs> cut and paste of the lyrics by Nickelback, is it I'm a rock star? Whatever the rock star uh, song is, if you cut and I think paste it's their just lyrics, called rock star. Nickelback's rock star we will read your review in full on the air. I don't even know if it needs to be Nickelback's Rockstar. I just think you use the term Rockstar in the review. Kind of like Sushi left us that review for the CrossFit football seminar where he specifically called us Rockstars over and over again. And what was best is he is a Rockstar and plays in a band. So, oh. I mean, any guy who plays in a band, he knows a Rockstar when he sees one. Oh, yes. So, it is Nickelback Rockstar 2005 from the album All the Right Reasons. Yeah, I celebrate their whole collection. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, I know who doesn't. And we just talked about it on the podcast. It, or the podcast that drops Friday, Ashley Van Houten <sighs> of Canada. I can't believe the muscle maven, Ashley, is not a huge Nickelback well, fan. We could start that. Well, I, you know what? I mean, what's weird is that she actually mailed us a bunch of Nickelback CDs that had been signed. I guess back in the day, she you know, used to travel around like a groupie on uh, Nickelback, and she's got a bunch of signed memorabilia that we're going to put up back there. So thanks, Muscle Maven, for all and that Nickelback uh, memorabilia. For Muscle Maven's Nickelback story, listen to our Friday <laughs> episode, 449, and she'll... Probably fact check. check yeah, she'll us, she'll regale us with all her stories. But um, enough about that. Let's move on to episode 447 of Power Athlete Radio, where uh-huh. we are going to discuss mentors. Yes. And I brought this up to John that January is National Mentor Month. Isn't every month something? I mean, didn't we yes, just... Yes, it is. Yeah. Like we it's more ch- than one thing. Well, I mean, we had uh, a Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, which was in November. September. In September. Mm-hmm. I mean, every month it's something else. Correct. Which this jumped out to me, I don't know, I, on social or something clicking through. It was like, all right, Mentor Month, cool. And I, I know that in... Why it was a breath, uh, breath Bartholomew. I mean, this is pretty much his whole month. 
Wow. Brett, this is Super the Super Bowl. Uh, the, the, the next 30 days are a Super Bowl. Yeah. You kidding me? When it comes to mentors, that He's, guy, I mean, he is trying to mentor people that don't even need they to be mentored. Well, that's what I wanted to get into today. And Gary Vee. Mm. It's his month. Well, you got to use the word funnel a lot with Gary Vee. Oh, I don't know. You know asserting your value in, in a funnel. Hmm. But needless to say, uh, mentor month. And then in the old school. Cross old from, school. You got to say it in the Zach Evan S voice. Speaking of mentors, old school. Uh, but the CrossFit football seminar. Did your seminar, voice just crack like you were going through puberty? But like Zach Evanesh's clients. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, look at that. Yeah, that's a joke. But the, the no, the CrossFit football seminar, how it, we presented and provided information was the stories yeah. and time and place, the, the life cycle of an athlete, of when the linear progression, of when the compensatory acceleration and all these different key components of athleticism were presented. We provided the experience in your training career and then the mentor that we can call them provided that lesson. So that's what I want to get into today and, and share some old school stories from your mentors and then what they gave you the gift of training that then now is delivered to thousands of people via train heroic tens of thousands of people around the world enjoy this stuff um wow mentors you know when i think about the term mentor i always think a lot about like a coach somebody that takes you on the journey or more importantly somebody that emulates um in the old cross a football seminar i found and and this is so dorky but i remember reading a quote um, like, you know, you walked into like Luke Summer's house and there was like live, love, laugh on the wall. <laughs> well, kind of similar to that. Like people don't always remember what you say, but people remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think I might've seen that in somebody's bathroom at like some cheesy house. So that's why, you know, it goes with the live, laugh, love for deal. the record. Luke's is live, love, limp biscuit. So he made a compromise with his wife for their sign. Mm. Two of her words, two of his. Mm. Okay, I'll go with it. So uh, like with the old cross of football seminar, what I realized pretty early on was I could provide some really amazing information. But if I didn't have a practical story or something that had, you know, ability for me to to spin a yarn and make people feel different and like remember that piece, it would just be information. So I really started lacing a lot of not only my own personal uh, experiences, but experiences of people we trained with and wanted to make this seminar very, I mean, just very specific in that way. Now it's not great to replicate that because if I'm not there, how, how are you going to tell the same stories? And I know you guys did. And then eventually when the seminar grew, you guys actually started pulling your own stories in, which it was great sitting in the back and hearing like the same information delivered, disseminated with a different story that led people to the same place. Um, as you guys know, uh, I'm, um, I'm a big fan of the masterclass and the one that I've just really, really enjoyed the most was uh, by far Doris Giddings, uh, Goodwin and her presentation and talking about, you know, um, historical figures, more importantly, for, uh, presidents, she's a presidential historian. And I, uh, the one that I loved was her talking about Abraham Lincoln, that he would had this open door policy when anybody could knock on his door at the white house and come in and talk to him. And then if people didn't come, he would go down to like the local pub, pub tavern and stand with his back to the fire and tell people stories and jokes and just stand up and entertain for hours. And he was an engaging, uh, you know, storyteller. And she really marked uh, an interesting point that was, um, 
the best leaders are by far the best storytellers. Uh, because unfortunately, people don't always remember the information. They remember the story and they remember how you made them feel. It's kind of like I can't, uh, you know, remember much of what Joe Biden talks about. But I do remember his story about Corn Pop, the drug dealer that she, he got up and he talked about, which made absolutely no sense. But I still remember that story. And like, you know, uh, different politicians have these kind of canned stories that they put together. And um, unfortunately, you know, people don't always remember what they say, but they usually remember the story and the way the story made them feel. And that is important. And from mentors that I've had and then been in a position to mentor many, it's not just telling them what to do. It's communicating the destination. And have you said the best way to do that is from the story. And then you've shared plenty of Zangus stories. Yeah. George Zangus was the old power lifter that trained me when I was in high school. I met George. Um, pretty early on because my older brothers lifted and played football and uh, he owned a supplement company, uh, Marathon Nutrition, and they had a, a few stores and one up in the mall uh, that was actually right next to um, Warehouse Music where we would go and get like check out like, uh, you know, videos and stuff. So I'd always see Marathon Nutrition and uh, George would always come down and teach like a lifting clinic for the football players. And so my, I kind of just knew his name. And when I was a freshman in, in high school and we started lifting weights, he came down and gave a clinic and he actually wrote the programming. We did the Russian squat program, which was like the six by two, six by three, if anybody's ever done it. And it goes up to a six by six and then, you know, five, four, three, two, one. So uh, that was the program we followed, which was a pretty advanced program for a bunch of kids that hadn't lifted weights. But there was a inner circle of the kids that were training there that were older that uh, George would assess as like, being, um, you know, however he meets them or whatever, would invite him over to his house. And then they go over and train at George's on Saturdays. And when I, I mean, I couldn't even drive. I must've been 14, 15 years old. Um, uh, one of the guys on my team, Tasso Papadakis, who's the brother of Petros Papadakis. If you, mm-hmm. those of you guys are, you know, listen to the sports radio out in LA, he was a year older than me. And uh, George was the godfather to his little brother. So he invited me, he said, Hey, do you want to come over and train at George's? We went over there on a Saturday and you guys have heard me tell the story. And, um, you know, it was pretty interesting. You know, we racked weights for most of the time I was there and just helped spotted people and moved plates. And then finally, like when everybody got done training, you know, the weaker guys like me, the beginners got to jump in there and then we got coached. And over the course of like going every Saturday and then it was like, you should come on Wednesday nights and then you should come on Thursdays. And so I would go to school. Um, I didn't have a fifth period. So what I did is I took zero period, which means I started school at seven in the morning and then I would go zero through like four and then I would have lunch and then I would have no fifth period and then football was six. So then we would leave and lift weights at lunch fit and fifth period. And then I would leave school and then go train at Zangus's place. So we were training, you know, a couple hours a day and, there was a t- just a ton of coaching. I mean, George, having been in the strength game for many, many years, um, had the, like in advertising in different magazines, had like stacks of magazines. So like we would get there and you just kind of like hang out. And if you were waiting or if something was going on, we would just pick up and read these old magazines and like, dude, there were stacks of them. You know, I, um, I was laughing the other day with Tom Inkledon that uh, George gave us creatine in 1992 and was like, just basically gave us a box that was unlabeled. And he's like, take a teaspoon of this and a teaspoon of this. And so I always joke, I'm one of the longest continuous creatine users on the planet. Um, but uh, a lot of the information, especially a lot of the coaching stuff kind of came in a, a really gruff way. It wasn't like George came over and said, hey, 
you know, I want you to do this and this. It always came in like the face of some, you know, some default or some mistake. Like you missed a weight and then it was like, hey, you did this wrong. You did this right. And, uh, you know, we would just kind of sit there and he would make comments like, uh, you know, I asked him why we deadlifted so little. And he like looked at me and was like, you you treat the deadlift like a pretty girl. You ignore it. Maybe once a week you go pull it. And uh, I just thought that was hilarious. And he believed that you build the deadlift through accessory movements, you know, reverse hyper rows, uh, you know, a ton of like upper back pulling, you know, pull ups, lat pull downs, you know, know, upper back, mid back, you know, a ton of shoulder work. I remember on uh, Wednesdays we'd, we'd go and we would train uh, bench and shoulders and we'd do close grips. And then we had to do 10 sets of eight of seated dumbbell press, working up to the, the heaviest set possible, you know, like not a vertical, but like click back about two clicks. And then it was like a uh, hundred dips and we would do hammer curls and we just basically train. So um, George didn't get home f- to work until like six or six thirty. So I would eat dinner and then I would, either catch a ride or drive over when I was a little bit older. And, um, and then, uh, occasionally on Fridays, uh, after school, we come home and George would call and be like, Hey, you got, you know, do you, do you want to go to dinner tonight? And I was like, Oh yeah. Cause normally if George took us out to dinner, we were going to go to like Brazilian barbecue or Todai, which is a, uh, all you can eat Japanese food restaurant that's down on, uh, on Carson street, not far from where my dad's office actually right in back of where the Gracie Jiu Jitsu place is in Torrance. So we'd go to Todai and man, I don't even know if I'm, I assume it's still there. I don't, who knows if it is, but we'd either hit one of those two places and we'd eat a ton. And, uh, you know, George had been in the Navy and had actually been a sub, you know, submariner. And, you know, uh, that's where his, you know, God awful coffee where, you know, it's, uh, only the coffee's done if the spoon stands straight up and, um, you know, just would regale us with, with all these stories and, you know, talk about Bill Kazmaier and, you know, Frank Zane and this. And we was real forthright when we talked about, you know, asked him about questions about training, about, you know, steroids and drugs or really just supplements and everything. And, you know, and then all then there was all of these, you know, individuals that he knew that were on the covers of these magazines like O.D. Wilson, I remember, was a huge dude, um, you know, Kaz, obviously. And, uh you know, there was like a supplement routine. And I remember, you know, George talking about beef liver pills. Oh God, he'd give us these chalky wafers that were like these liver pills that tasted like liver, but powdered dry liver. Absolutely disgusting. And, uh, the funny part was, um, so my wife got some, uh, uh, some, uh, like a few different types of protein powders. And one of them was a pea protein. And she's like, Oh, this is awful. And I like took a drink and I was like, this is nothing compared to the protein powder that George used to give us. It was in a five gallon tub. And he would give us this stuff and you had to plug your nose when you were drinking it because you would retch. It tasted that bad. But we were convinced that because it was called, you know, mass gainer 5000 that we were going to like, you know, gain this amount of muscle as the dude on the cover. So, but um, he was just an interesting mentor in that he was a guy who, you know, trained into his 60s, you know, was still banging heavy weights, had these young kids coming over into his training group. And I think he uh, probably enjoyed it more than we did. Just the yeah. fact that he had young kids, like, I don't mean like young kids, like some weird old man, but like a bunch of like pipe hit and hard heavy, you know, uh, high school football players. And I, I bet you out of the, you know, I mean, there, there were kids that trained over there over many, many years. But, um, you know, the majority of them went on to play some form of college football. So he was real good on like inviting certain people over and even to the point of being a little elitist. Cause I remember there were some kids that were like, well, Zangus never invited me over there. And I'm like, I don't know why did you ever ask? And, uh, he ended up becoming uh, very close with not only, uh, myself, but actually my oldest brother, Rob, 
So after my oldest brother, Rob, uh, graduated college, he moved home for a little bit until he, uh, until he got a job and moved out and, uh, he would drive up and come and pick me up and we would go lift weights on Saturdays. And I think he ended up doing George's insurance at some point. So oh, like, nice. Yeah. So my, my older brother, uh, you know, so he, he became not only a very, very, very good family friend. And, um, you know, it was a sad day when I got the call that he'd passed away. I remember it was a uh, 2011 cause my, um, not long after my daughters were born, because I remember when I went to the service, it was like the first time I'd kind of been out of the house and I went to go to his service. And one of the guys I saw was like, man, you look really tired. And I'm like, well, we just had twins about a, you know, pretty recently. So I haven't really slept that much, but, um, it was, uh, it was just an interesting, interesting point. Like the, you know, there was no internet, like the fact that like, you know, George would tell us about these individuals, like, you know, uh, talking about compensatory acceleration with Dr. Fred Hatfield, his buddy, uh, you know, he had one of the first West side reverse hypers and talked about, you know, Hey, the West side guys. And I actually remember when I was in college, um, you guys have heard me tell the story that I wanted to bench 500. My buddy had all his West side videos and I called the West side number and talked to Louis Simmons about how to bench 500. And I remember when I, when I talked to George, he used to, um, so George was a total night owl and he would call me at like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And I'm a college kid. So of course it's like, what's up from home? I'm answering it. If not, you'll leave a message. Right. And I remember telling him, Hey, I talked to Louis Simmons and he was like, uh, what did you talk to Lou about? I was like, I'm going to bench 500. And like he had, you know, this and went through this whole thing. And George made a good point where he's like, there'd been a lot of strong people that didn't box squat. There's been a lot of people that didn't, you know, do this and board pressing and, you know, all that conjugate shit. So I think George thought that there was a lot, there was too much complexity in Louis stuff. Um, but also was pretty forthright that it was like, you know, uh, um, nobody's ever done that program clean. And so there was an interesting point where, you know, and I, and I, I don't think George was uh, anti-performance enhancing drugs by any means, at least he never said he was, but he also was a believer that there's a certain amount of genetic potential that individuals have. And that if you go to that last like piece too early before you max out your genetic potential, you're leaving stuff on the table. So the idea of like, Hey, you know, if, um, if your genetic potential is going to grow you to six, six and you take a bunch of drugs when you're six feet and you don't grow to six, six, like that's wasted genetic potential. So like there was kind of a interesting piece when we talked to him, um, he's like, you know, to be a, a world-class power lifter and to compete at the highest level, like that's just part of the deal. But like, there's also a thing where like those individuals like Bill Kazmaier and those guys like OD Wilson and, you know, these superheroes that we saw, like they were already really strong dudes. You know, it wasn't like they were weak and then they somehow became strong. They were, you know, super strong individuals who, you know, pushed the bounds of what was possible once they had already become really strong individuals. And so, uh, when I talked to George, he kind of, or at, at least when we were kids, you know, like you look at these guys and, you know, they look like superhero, uh, like uh, superheroes and, uh, you know, like George made an interesting point to me one time. He's like, you know, uh, um, if you keep training, you are going to be, by the time you're like 20, 19, uh, 20 years old, you're going to be like 300 pounds. You'll be like six, five, 300 pounds. And he's like, uh, you know, like. Like you have to ride out your genetic potential as far as you can. Uh, and you know what? And that's what he talked about for a lot of these guys like, you know, Bill Kazmaier and, and a lot of them were super strong individuals before they ventured down that road. And um, well, how was it like taking in that information? At that, were you, was the student ready to hear those things at that yeah, time? Yeah, I, I, like I didn't know anything about that stuff. 
um, the, uh, you know, I like, it was pretty funny. Like I remember the first time I had like saw anything about like performance enhancing drugs or steroids was there was like a, uh, like a TV show that was like, uh, um, like one of those like dare things where this kid like is some football player and like, isn't good. And then goes in the summer and takes these drugs and then comes back and like the program. No, no. It was like a after school special that oh, they made okay. us watch. And uh, <laughs> and then like the guy comes back and he's like all crazy and like beats up his girlfriend and stuff. And it's like this. It's total. fucking. So the problem. program stole a plot from yeah. an after school special. Yeah. So uh, but like so it, it, it was kind of interesting. Like I had never even heard uh, ever mentioned or anything. And then uh, when I was like a junior in high school, there was like, oh, like so and so takes his stuff. And I'm like, you know, and so I remember asking George, I'm like, hey, what's the, like. Like, you know, what's the deal with all this stuff? And so George was real forthright. And he's like, you know, there's things that people take that allow them to exceed past their genetic potential. The problem is, is if you don't max out your genetic potential before you do that, you fucking, you know, leave it on the, on the table. And that was why, you know, like the basic linear progression. I mean, the stuff that we use with bedrock is so potent. Like I, I always joke, and if you get an email and you're looking for a program and you get an email back from us, that's like, you know, it's almost too powerful. You know, it's probably, you know, me or somebody else, but, um, like that basic linear progression and the amount of strength that I've seen people accumulate in such a small period of time is next to amazing. And I, I like, I would never want to rob anybody of that journey. Like that journey that I took, like under the barbell, like I would never have got, you know, the feeling of like not being strong and sucking and then growing to be strong and like, realizing like if you don't want to lift weights for a week or two, you don't lose any weight and any strength and you just maintain it and you keep pushing, you keep pushing and you keep pushing. And it's, uh, you know, a pretty amazing thing, but I, I like, well in, in line and respect with that and the message that you're sharing with George said, I wrote down some mentor notes of, of purpose that I appreciated and I've listened to, to you share, but picking up in that a good a good mentor helps you understand that something is worth doing. Like if there is a drug shortcut to there, they're pushing you more towards the thing that is going to take longer. It's more of a process. So it yeah. it is a good mentor that is trying to steer you away from the quick quick fix, the quick ripe thing, especially when it comes to weight training and perform and well the potential. Uh, um as valuable as it was, there were some pretty glaring problems though. Um, because George came from a powerlifting background. I think we threw the wraps on way too early. Um, so I mean, we would, I remember going in there and squatting and, uh, all of a sudden, like anything over 225, we started wrapping our knees, right? Like, I mean, I, you know, what, what was I going to squat 300 pounds that day for, a, you know, a few sets and like, I'm wrapping my knees at 225. And like all of a sudden when I ended up jamming my knee, fucking around running, uh, hurdles, um, all of a sudden when I wrapped my knee, I think it made it worse. So I think that because George had, you know, been in uh power lifting and, you know, wraps and belts and, and, you know, those single ply suits were, were kind of the, uh, you know, the sport equipment. I think we went to the wraps too early. Um, I would have liked to have learned to have squatted without wraps because it wasn't until I got hurt and had to come back that I learned to like not depend upon the wrap and not sit into the wrap. And I think that, uh, that was, um, I wouldn't say a cheat, but like that was something I think slowed progress. Well, at that, at that stage, I mean, I imagine that you think about this time often, how, when did you think, Oh, wraps weren't a good idea or that thing we did, 
that was probably pretty stupid based off my future experience. Yeah. Like no. How often do you look back and judge that? Is it every few years? Every uh, five? It's probably every day. I mean, <laughs> I, I think about all the dumb stuff we did. So what was funny was uh, we would like read something in a magazine or hear about something and then we would try to implement it like uh, um, like depth like jumps on his watch. No. So all the dumb stuff we did was not under George's watch. So everything we did at George's place was pretty controlled, pretty smart, other than maybe we're wearing the wraps and maybe throwing on the belt a little early. And I'll tell you this, um, uh, I didn't learn to squat to good, to like excellent depth until I got a little bit older and actually got rid of the wraps. I wish I'd learned to squat deep without them. But like, you know, you get to the wrap and all of a sudden, like the wrap balls up on the back of your knee and you hit like a depth and then you should rock it back up. And it wasn't until I took the wraps off and said, you know what, fuck this. I uh, like, I want to like learn to squat better. And it was when I, once I took the wraps off that I learned to squat to depth. And then when I threw them back on, it was, you know, cause I squatted what, 6'10 when I was 19, um, with just wraps and a belt. And, um, yeah, I mean, so I was pretty strong dude, but like, I think like if I had, uh, I mean, I probably never to the point that I, let's say, and now that was before I, I blew out my knee, but I probably had never squatted over 400 pounds without wraps and a, and a belt on. So we would do like 135, 225, 315, 365, and then throw the wraps and the belt on. Mm. And then, it, or like maybe it was belted at, at three for 365, wraps at 400, and then like 440, 450, and then we'd pyramid up, you know, and we would wrap for every set. And, um, you know, not only did it take a really long time, but I, I think it just didn't develop, like it, it stagnated the development. But at the time, I was more focused on what's the biggest squat I can get. And I know the wraps are going to give me 10%. And I know that. It, the belt's going to give me 10%. Do, did George speak, speak numbers as the goals or was it performance? Did he take an aim at connecting it back to, no. cause he knew you were football players. Yeah, but he was power lifter. Right. So, I mean, there was this kind of idea that, uh, you know, uh, you know what you do on the platform and you do in the power lifting translates 100% to sport performance. And, and you know what, like that wasn't a, you know, a fault of his, but I mean, he came from a powerlifting background and, you know, that's the way it was done. So, I mean, it was very traditional in that way. Um, you know, uh, sumo deadlifting was cheating. I remember that one. Is that from uh, George? Yeah. Yeah. He lets, well, like, I remember there was like a video or a, a picture of a dude, like, you know, feet practically out and basically pulling the bar like four inches off the ground. And, you know, George was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like that's a four know. inches a lot, John. <laughs> yeah. That's what she said. Uh, uh, but like the, uh, you know, there, but I, I think a lot of the foundation stuff, especially it's funny when I hear people gripe on like some of the programs, be like, how come we only do close grips? I'm like, because all we did and not to say I'd never did a wide bench, but I never got hurt doing a close grip. Uh, we did a ton. I mean, I close gripped a hell of a lot of weight. And the only time I think I ever strained a pack or ever hurt myself was, uh, when I really widened the grip out. So in terms of like limiting injuries and chance of injuries and also really wanted to focus on driving with the triceps, for me, it was a close grip bench press. And I remember George one time we were doing close grips. He's like, you're a much better close gripper than you are a traditional, like more of like, uh, you know, maybe putting your, uh, your pointer finger, your ring finger out, out on the, uh, on the rings, one thumb length off of the smooth to one thumb width off of the smooth. So we would play with the grip in that way. But I remember him being like, you know, uh, if you can drive that weight, that's a better translation towards football and then that and dips. So we would do like sets and kind of superset back and forth with close grips and dips. Um, so, I mean, there was a sport specific position in that and in the punch, 
But in terms of the, you know, the wraps and the squat, I mean, that was just kind of old school powerlifting, real flat shoes. And was was interesting was I had terrible tendonitis until I ended up rupturing or tearing my ACL. And when I came back, um, doing the Olympic squat, uh, where, you know, with a ton of like vertical displacement over the toes with Todd yeah. Rice and wearing Olympic shoes, cured all of my patellar tendonitis. That's, that's what I want to lead to, to next is then you were experience with rice because we know you you've got some nicknames for the rice patty for coach rice but at the same time you learned a lot and as big of a conflicts or uh you know that tension that exists say that that uh i i really respect todd and um i doubt he's ever listened to this podcast or he'll even you know uh you know belittle him to even uh you know come on ours one day but I, i really think um he had a ton of knowledge to teach us. And unfortunately, uh, you know, through his own misgivings, I think the way he taught was kind of, kind of a, a, you know, very difficult way to learn. But I think for me at that point, I did not really give a shit how you treated me. I didn't really care. You know, you didn't have to be nice to me. I, I was like, just provide me the best information, get the fuck out of the way. And what I saw was that there were things that I couldn't do that once I started training with him, I could do. And all of a sudden, like looking at this holistic like from- approach, from the field or the weight room? Yeah, well, both. both. Like, so when I had done the traditional powerlifting, like with George and even with Eric Cohn, who was our, who was a really good strength coach we had, but it was a real like uh, traditional kind of powerlifting kind of strength training. I didn't see the carryover on the field. Like I couldn't see like the 600 pound squat in, in, in the weight room translate onto the field. You know, we used to sit back with a nice vertical, you know, big vertical shin. And um, I just couldn't see the translation. And it wasn't until... Uh, you know, and I was already a starter by the time Todd Rice came around. I think I was in my junior year. And, um, but when he came in, all of a sudden the training that he had us do with, you know, stability with isometric contractions and plyometrics and jumping and, you know, the metabolic conditioning cycles and pull-ups and all the stuff that he implemented all of a sudden, when I got better at it, I could see translate to the field. Mm-hmm. And that was where, you know, we talk about that splinter in the mind moment where, um, uh, I saw, the, the training that I did in the weight room is a one-to-one on the field. And I couldn't figure out why other people weren't finding it in the same way. And I even saw that in the NFL where like I would get better, I'd get stronger and I would be able to perform on the field. I'd watch other guys make the same gains and then not be able to do it. So there became this idea of like, what does the training look like and how do you translate it onto the field? Can you develop the speed and the athleticism and all the things that you need to be successful on the field in the weight room? you know, posture position, challenging, you know, full, you know, movement through full range of motion, loaded movements, uh, all of that kind of paradigm that we created for athleticism really mm-hmm. stum- stemmed from that observation. Uh, it, it was, it was a really fun time growing up, uh, you know, when I did in the kind of the point of the nineties and, um, it was just, man, it was, it, it was nice in that, um, I can't imagine what it would have been like or the pressures to have like this much connectivity with social media and all the other stuff. I think it was a, it was nice that we get to live in these little bubbles and train and do that. I just wish, um, uh, you know, like uh, I wish I could go back and be like, Hey man, like don't wear the wraps. And when you, when you hurt your knee running hurdles, like take off two weeks, ice it, do everything you can. Like, like those injuries that you're, that are growing today, are going to plague you for many, many years. Like, but I, I didn't have this, this foresight. I almost had this motion idea of like, if I miss training tomorrow, it's going to set me back a hundred years. Right. But now the beauty is you are in this position 
to share yeah. that knowledge, maybe not with uh, 16-year-old John J. Welly, but 16-year-old freaking well, wiener the, kid out there. The analogy from Colors is probably the best one where he's like, you know, I was sitting there talking to Robert Duvall and it's uh, Sean Penn and he, he says to his, uh, you know, hey, let me tell you a joke. And he goes, you know, there's a couple bulls standing up on a hill and he looks down, and he sees those cows and he's like, hey, pop, like, let's run down there and bang one of those cows. And I guess the daddy bull looks at him and goes, why don't we walk down there and bang them all? So the idea of like, you know, youth and, and you know, I, I need to run in there and do, every, you know, this opposed from like, you got a long life in front of you. Like one day is not going to make or break your career. Uh, but unfortunately, um, you know, when you're young, like nobody can tell you that stuff. It's kind of like for my kids all the time. I tell them like, if you listen, I'll give you the cheat codes. Like I'll like, like, believe me, like we were at basketball the other day and I, I, I watched this whole thing go down where uh, my daughter's team was real successful last week and they smoked this team like 44 to nothing. All of a sudden the girls show up and like one of them's wearing sunglasses and they're all high five in and like all like, you know, got like uh, smiley faces on their hands and they're all like, yeah, feeling good about themselves. And I text my wife, I'm like, they're going to get their asses kicked. And sure enough, they went up against a really good team. This one girl was like shaking it, like literally through a head fake. And like one girl went down. Um, one girl told my daughter she's going to beat her up. Like she was all nervous. And uh, she asked me about it. And I'm like, there's, uh, you know, but here's the thing. Like, even though I could see it coming and I told her, I'm like, hey, you better like relax a little bit. Like and understand that this is going to be serious. Uh, you know, you're only as good as your best show or as your last showing, like what you guys did last week, that's over. That doesn't carry over. Nobody cares about that. And so watching this thing happen and then realizing that your kids and the people that you mentor and coach in this, like you can't protect them from, from things. You have to let them go out and have that experience. If she just listened to me and was like, you know, girls like last, you know, and, and said what I said, and then everybody had their, you know, uh, head screwed on real tight and went out there, it wouldn't have had the same dramatic effect. Yeah. And one of the the next mentor notes that I got here is communicate your message that connects to a person's purpose. Now, I know at nine, communicating purpose to a nine-year-old girl, very difficult. I'm in the same boat with the some middle schoolers in lacrosse. What a pet peeve I do have is in working with coaches or communicating to the parents that I'm working with now. They're just trying to to have this one one to one, just teaching the kid the lesson period and getting frustrated that they're not. Yeah. But I mean, isn't that like the story of like of youth and like the, uh, you know, the age old uh, cliche that, you know, youth is wasted on the young. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go back and you read stories of like ancient Greek and like all of these stories, like there's always this youth and hubris and like mistake and folly. I mean, that's the Oedip- I mean, that's 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 the Iliad and the Odyssey. Correct. You know? And that's that's how I, I feel in the same way in that these a kid when the student is ready, the master appears is amazing. When student is ready. The mentor appears. Like kids, 9, 13, even the, the 16 to 19 year old, I mean, they need a coach. They need the ball busting, the uh, the playful opportunity to provide stress and make your own stupid mistakes. But then a, a coach can be there to provide the lesson in there. And mentors, I feel, really step in when you're ready to hear these lessons. It's almost this stage. And it leads to, to my next question. Like this could be ath- athletics, could be business, could be life. Like when, and it could be lessons that finally sunk in through your father, or you were going to be in a position to then ask him the questions 
the difficult questions, like at what stage did you, and even through Ed, your brother, like what stage did you feel you were ready to ask honest questions to get honest feedback and then you could uh, apply it? Um, man. I think you got to be ready for a lot of that stuff. And I don't know if I was, um, you know, when I played, uh, I was good and was able to play at a high level and, um, you know, was able to play at a high level, play injured at a high level. And I think like, uh, you know, film study and all that other stuff was just part of the game. And I think everybody was focused on the being the best player they could. And that involved training that involved football that involved being able to survive everything. Um, I think what, what it really comes down to is, um, you know, like if you are forever asking questions and analyzing yourself and like asking, you know, and, and I'm not a huge fan of asking a ton of people's opinions just because a lot of times, like if you ask an opinion, you're going to get one and yeah. whether or not be good or not and having people around you, you know, that can help, you know, guide some ideas. But at the end of the day, taking personal responsibility for the decisions that you make, I think all too often uh, people make a bad decision and they're like, well, I was advised poorly. You know, how come you didn't help me in this way? And I think the job of the mentor is to not necessarily guide you, but to provide you a framework. Like we went over and trained with George. George lifted weights with us every time we trained. He didn't coach us. We trained in a group. I mean, it was, we were invited into George's training group. He squatted, we helped him on with his suit and would, you know, would coach him and he would coach us. And I think like that mentor idea has always been really good for me in that um, I always like to train in a group. I think the uh, the coach who sits back with his arms crossed and just, you know, makes a bunch of, yeah. you know, definitive Pun- statements. Punishment, fear, yeah. yes or no, no do this those, or else. Those aren't, those aren't mentors. Mm-hmm. I, I think mentors, at least in my life, were people that led from the front and people that were, you know, good quality individuals. I watched my dad get up every single day and bust his ass. Like I, I learned hard work from watching my, just my dad and my mom. And, um, I think like those mentors are the ones that I've always looked for. I think a lot of times words are hollow. Um, if you're creative, you can come up with, I mean, that's why the internet and especially like social media is so interesting because to me, words have always been really hollow compared to actions. You know, you can get up and write some amazing quotes and put out some bullshit, but like, if that's not who you are and that's not the life you've led, it's just, to me, it's empty words. But so, so often the interaction that we have is a picture and these different words. And for me, my mentors were individuals that I saw do something in such a way that I wanted to emulate. And then also people that worked, you know, like I think like, I mean, I'll I'll give a a Raphael as an incredible coach and mentor. Raph trained with us all the time. You know, he would train at like five in the morning and then we would come in and he would run with us. He, I mean, if people were fucking around, he would do some stuff that like blew people's minds. I remember we were down in, uh, in, uh, Australia teaching at Daz's gym in Newcastle and we got off the plane, went and lifted some weights and, uh, Roth weighing probably about 165, 170 pounds, uh, starts back squatting and he, uh, gets like to me 315. So it's just about double body weight on the bar. And as he does it and he's just wearing, you know, shorts, no t-shirt, no shoes, nothing squats down as he's coming up, he explodes off the ground, jumps off the ground and goes from a bilateral to a split stand squat does like a, like a, a lunging split step and then splits again into a bilateral squats down and then jumps off the ground and does it again and did this little set. And like, I mean, here's a dude basically jumping off the ground from a bilateral position into a lunge with 315 on his back weighing double body weight. Like it was pretty impressive. 
I mean, to say the least. And like, that's the type of stuff that I would see and been like, all right, like that's the mentoring. That's this, like the old fat, you know, off, uh, offensive line coach screaming at you about running while you're standing out, you know, while you're standing out there dying, no, not training. To me, that was just the coach. That was the individual. That was the, you know, the ringleader, let's say. But like the true mentor is the person that's in the fight with you. And yeah. I think that that, that was how I always kind of disseminated it. And like, you know, it's real easy to, you know, and it's, it's really funny too. Like on the internet, there's become this huge, like life coaching thing where now I'm in this life coaching thing and this guy's going to teach me this and this. And it's like, make sure that guy shits all in one sock. Like who are you to give other people advice unless your life is in order? And, um, it's like with the training stuff, I mean, shit, man, like all the programs, everything we've done, like we bust ass and we train, but like, that's important. And people see that stuff. It's not disingenuous. And so, you know, I mean, it's, um, I think authenticity is the thing that's, that, that's hardest to, to, to fake. And it's the hardest thing to replicate. Yeah. That's another note here. A mentor, they should provide you very specific. This is your role. And that's what I took away. Fortunately, I was able to go down and experience the the Ruiz firsthand. But it was and I, I told him straight up, like, I'm going to be I'm in I'm here selfishly. I'm going to take from you. But he established, OK, then this is your role. But here's how here's what I'm asking you to do. But here's how, how it will add value to your life. Hmm. It was very, very clear about that. Then the next Next four months, punishment was severe. But at the same time, he was right there alongside you, yeah. swimming. Well, Roth will never ask coaching. You to, yeah, he will never ask anybody to do something that he will not do himself. But because he's doing it, he expects an extremely high standard. Yes, um, I remember one time there was like a high, like a like a kid clinic or something that Roth had, and they were bringing all these kids in, and Roth's like, "Hey, would you mind j- jumping in and coaching?" I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll help. I mean, you know, shit, I'll I'll hang around and just help you out." And it was pretty funny because I hadn't like really ever been a coach and I really like didn't understand what it was all about. And it was pretty funny because these kids like sensed the fact that I wasn't much of a taskmaster in that way and like sort of fucking around. And Roth came over and layered like lowered the boom on these kids and kind of scolded me. And he's like, you know what? Like you have to set the precedent early on. Like it doesn't matter. I know you do it on the field, but you got to do it in everything. And you know what? You have to demand respect. And if you feel like people aren't giving it to you, you need to call them out and go, you know, put, put them on blast. And, uh, I, I thought Roth in terms of anything like Roth was, uh, um, not only in my book, an excellent mentor because it wasn't just hollow words. I think all too often, man, we get stuck in this hollow words thing where it's just easier to sit back and, you know, eat a, you know, bowl ice cream and write some inspirational bullshit. But at the end of the day, like, you know, like, like who's in the fight, like the man in the arena. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, we've talked about, so, um, I think for me, the mentors and the people that I've been around that I've always respected and emulated and helped me were people that were the men in the arena. You know, I'm not interested in the crowd or the critic. Yeah. And as a, if you're seeking this mentor, like you have to understand they're giving you time, uh, energy, freaking love for a lot of them they're giving you so much and it's important that you you are taking from them but communicating how you will use that information in the future so that's i mean being a mentee nowadays in the inauthentic is, is, is world, that even a word mentee i believe so okay in well the it is now authentic world of the internet 
like very unappreciative. That's, I don't, they, they do exist that don't value your lessons. And I guess as a, as a giver, you have to be in a position if the information, the energy is not matched, well, but be I ready mean, to walk. We've seen that for years, man. Like, um, you know, uh, like there's people that reach out to us every day that aren't ready for what we're doing. And, you know, they, you know, Hey, I'm trying to make an excuse of this. And it's like, most people just, you know, put the credit card down, join a program, get in it and just literally fight it out every day. And then there's other people that dance around it. And, um, I think with like the mentorship, I mean, we've really had a pretty amazing thing. Like, I don't want to like, you know, say that the internet and everything we've done has been some, you know, terrible experiment, but for the most part, uh, I think the fact that we've been able to record a podcast like this and push it out on all these different channels is an amazing opportunity to influence people. Um, I think we've never been in a point in history where we can influence as many people as quickly as, as, uh, as we are. So I think that's a really powerful deal, but it's also an incredible responsibility. And, uh, you know, the other interesting thing is not every person has your best interest at heart. And that's something I think about constantly for like when you, you, when you do mentor somebody or helping somebody or you're doing this or you're bringing somebody on, like, are you acting in their best interest and are they acting in your best interest or the best interest of the endeavor that you're doing? Like, you know, if we bring somebody on here, a power athlete, you know, at the end of the day, their job is to do the job we need them to, you know, for power athlete and, and, you know, nurturing my inner child and making sure that I, you know, that's secondary. Like they need to do this task that's required. And I think taking a team approach, like in pro football, man, like if my job was to play left guard or right guard or right tackle, whatever it was, I had to do my job so that the other people could do their jobs. You know, if I didn't do my job, other people can't do theirs. And I think that there's, um, you know, a lot of times I think people are always looking for mentors and sometimes, you know, like uh, Tony Blauer, you know, be your own bodyguard. Sometimes you got to mentor yourself. And, uh, you know, that was, we had that, um, discussion about, uh, self-compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's definitely like a self mentoring where you're like, you know what, this is where we're going to go. This is the information I'm going to implement and I'm not going to stop until I hit the hit what I'm looking for. Yeah. And in actually Robert Greene's mastery book, highly recommended, but he does talk about that at one point because mentorship is certainly a part of mastery of your skill. Sure. Craftsman well, trade. You, you have to apprentice. Well, apprenticeship. And but he says apprentice yourself. If you can't have this and there's plenty of self taught skills and individuals out there. Um, But at the same time, if you are seeking a mentor, you aim to provide value first for them. What are you going to, are you going to continue their legacy, apply their information challenge and lead them to different conclusions. So provide value first. If you are seeking a mentor, I know it's difficult as a 16 year old kid down the road from a old power lifter, but you gave, you gave him youth. You gave him energy. It sounds like. Yeah. No, I mean, we were, um, we were good friends and, uh, you know, what's funny was, um, after I had the kids, um, I went, I started going to bed real early cause I was super tired and George would leave me these messages at like midnight, 1am and I'm not up. And they would just go, I mean, I turn my phone off. And so he left me these string of messages and I usually get up in the morning and call him, but he was a night owl. He didn't wake up till later. So we kind of had this epic game of phone tag going and, uh, um, you know, and then it was interesting. And then I, I, when I got the phone call, like I was planning on calling him back, I kept missing him and leaving messages and this and this. And then I, I, you know, the next call I get was, uh, that he passed away. And I was like, man, like 
just like everything, like, you know, like what, what you wouldn't pay for one more day to hang with my dad and talk to him and tell him everything or one more to thank George for all the stuff that we did. So I really think that if, uh, if somebody influences you and somebody mentors you and helps you, um, like don't miss the opportunity to thank them and tell them how impactful they were in your life. Because unfortunately, like life is very short, very fleeting and very fragile. And sometimes it just gets smoked away. And like, you know, I mean, like my dad got sick or found out he was sick right around Christmas and was gone February 28th. So um, it'll be three years. And like, you know, uh, as much as I got to say to him, uh, it wasn't enough. Most of the, uh, the opportunities we got to hang out and have great conversations. Um, you know, I mean, what I wouldn't pay for just one more day. So uh, my advice is, um, you know, search out a mentor that helps you, you know, expand your horizons. I look for authenticity. And then at the end of the day, uh, value them and thank them and let them know how impactful it was for you. And I would hate for, you know, somebody to move on or move away or, you know, something to happen and have that person not know the value. Cool. Boom. Awesome. Preach. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm John. This is Tex. And here we are just melting faces, breaking hearts and expanding minds. If you are looking for training, guidance and when mentorship powerathletehq.com backslash training. If you're looking for education to learn how to lift or to empower you to teach others how to lift, academy.powerathletehq.com. We also have nutrition, guiding, and mentorship in that respect. Anything you need to empower your performance and prolong your health. Cool. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!